Let us pray. Holy God, open our hearts and minds to this reading of your scripture. Help us to see its meaning for us. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. A reading from the gospel is from the gospel of John in the first chapter, verses 29 through 42. Listen to these words from scripture. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples. And as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, what are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus who looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John, you are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. Alan Bertwistle tells this story about a young man named Jimmy Rice, excuse me, Price. One day the boy entered the workshop of the inventor Thomas Edison Edison asked him what he wanted. He replied that he wanted to be an inventor. Where was he going to live? He replied that he would live in the workshop. It was a better place than he was presently living anyway. Where would he sleep? He replied that he would sleep under one of the workbenches. Edison was sympathetic to the boy because he had had a rough early start himself. And so he sent Jimmy off for some food, and then he allowed him to stay at the workshop. Jimmy helped out with various chores while Edison's team worked on the invention 
of the light bulb. There had been 9,000 attempts to perfect the light bulb. All had failed. Then it was decided to manufacture a bulb with a carbon filament instead of the metal that had been used previously. Several men worked on it, including a glass blower, a metal worker, and an electrician. Finally, the bulb was ready, the prototype of the bulb that would soon be found all over the world. There's more to the story, and I'll get to that later. But think about this story. Jimmy seeks out a great man and wants to be near him and learn from him. I think he wanted to abide in the aura of Edison and become like him. The two disciples of John the Baptist, I suspect, acted from similar motives. They have sought out John because they are searching for meaning for their lives. Now, John was preaching a message of repentance, and they must realize that repentance for their present direction of their lives and the need to find a new direction was necessary. Further, John tells them that if they are looking to abide with God, the source of meaning, they need to follow Jesus, the Lamb of God. Now, this is no small matter, since they would associate that title with the sacrificial Passover lamb, implying that Jesus' way is one of sacrifice. Is that really the path they want? The two disciples follow Jesus, but they are probably uncertain about the value of doing so. Sensing this, Jesus asks them, what are you looking for? Now that may seem like a strange question. They reply, where are you staying? That seems stranger still. But if we look at their response more deeply in the meaning of the original Greek, they want to know less about place and more about with whom Jesus abides. They want to be in the presence of truth, in the presence of God's love, and they want to abide in that presence. They realize that their lives depend on abiding with Jesus. We are now in a period of self-reflection at Third Church as we await the arrival of an interim head of staff and eventually a permanent head of staff. This question, what are you looking for, takes on fresh meaning. We talk about the Holy Spirit residing in each one of us, and that is true. We also know that the Holy Spirit works within a community. We must remind ourselves that as important as the right head of staff might be, it is not a substitute for the commitment of the community of faith to abide with Jesus. In the companion lectionary reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 to 9, which I encourage you to read later, the Apostle Paul addresses the church at Corinth. He's concerned about the conflict and divisions within that church. 
we are blessed here by not having such discord, even as we work to be faithful and fiscally responsible. It is instructive to see how Paul begins his letter, and I quote, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Consider carefully what Paul is saying. He reminds the people that they are called to be saints. Our decision to abide with Jesus in this place, just like the decision of the early disciples 2,000 years ago to abide with Jesus, this decision has monumental consequences. We choose to live into a call. This means to live into a life that involves sacrifice in order to be part of what God is doing to reconcile the world, indeed to reconcile all creation, to bring light and love and justice to all the nations. But it also means to pay attention to the activity of the Holy Spirit in our midst, in this place, confident that God is present with us. Jesus responds to the two disciples of John the Baptist saying, come and see. Remember this invitation from Jesus. It is also an invitation to us. Each of us must respond in his or her own way to the question, what are you looking for? With whom do we wish to abide? Where can we, where can we find what we are looking for? The meaning and purpose of our very existence. This question is accentuated when we are in transition. And remember the words of Martin Buber that I had printed on the cover of the bulletin. There is something that can only be found in one place. It is a great treasure which may be called the fulfillment of existence. The place where this treasure can be found is the place on which one stands." Unquote. Now, you don't have to travel a long distance, as Rabbi Isaac Ekelis discovered in the Hasidic parable I shared earlier with the children. He looked for a treasure many miles away in Prague when the treasure was waiting to discover in his own home, buried under his stove in Krakow. Abiding with Jesus right where we stand, individually and as a community of faith, it's the place where we can find and preserve the meaning and purpose of our lives. We come and see in this place and discover who we are and to whom we belong. That is not to say, however, that the road to discipleship and faithfulness is smooth. It most assuredly is not. It takes courage and staying power, real commitment to our call as saints in this community of faith. 
We may have disappointments. We will sometimes wonder if we are in the right place. We will question in our minds which spiritual gifts are most important for the survival of this church. And we will need to be reminded, as Paul reminded the church at Corinth, that every person is essential. Every person is called to be a saint. Every person has a gift that contributes to the health and faithfulness of the community. It is easy to forget that. It is easy to consider oneself or certain others unessential or lacking. And this brings me back to Jimmy Price. Remember where I left the story. The incandescent bulb with the carbon filament was ready after many, many hours of work. Jimmy was called to deliver it to Edison. The boy handled it with great care, initially. But he increased his pace as his excitement grew and he tripped and fell and the bulb shattered on the ground. Jimmy ran off crying and sat by himself behind a door. The workers no doubt shouted some expletives, but they got back to work to make a new bulb. Eventually, another bulb was ready. Edison was informed. He asked Jimmy to deliver the new bulb to him. Still very upset, the boy complied and carried the bulb upstairs to Edison's lab where it was to be installed and be the first of many to light the world. In his book, Draw Near to Faith, Alan Burt Whistle, from whom I got this story, quotes Edison saying these words to Jimmy Price. Quote, there's one thing about mistakes, Jimmy, they need not be permanent, unquote. The same is true for disappointments. We all come and see what abiding with Christ in a certain time and in a certain place is all about. Most of all, we come most, if not all, come with a history of disappointment, some little, some big. We call ourselves an inclusive church because we believe in the value of each and every person gathered here. We believe that the Holy Spirit draws strength from weakness, something Paul discusses further along in the first chapter of 1 Corinthians. We believe that any mistake a person believes they have made in their lives, any mistake is not permanent. Disappointments are just upsetting bumps in the road or rocks in the stream of our lives around which the flowing water of our life swirls. Still, we try to let our lives reflect the grace of God. Our hope in Christ our hope in Christ is that we trust in new beginnings that bring light and energy into our life together. That is what animates the soul of the church, where Christ's body gathers together in a place and in a time like this. I encourage each of you to consider what called you to this church. 
If you think you are called here for the preaching, dig deeper. If you think you are called here because of the architecture, dig deeper. If you think you are called here because of the music or Boris Head or Mardi Gras pancakes, dig deeper. If you think you are called to participate in outreach ministries, dig deeper. You are called here because you have a spiritual gift that Christ needs in this place. There is no spiritual gift that is more valuable than another. Paul enumerates them in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Deeds of power, healing, forms of assistance, teaching, forms of leadership, but most importantly, the gift of love, which brings patience, kindness, hope, and endurance. Paul assures the Corinthian church that they lack no spiritual gift. We can be confident of the same. You can be confident that you are needed in this place. What are you looking for, Jesus asked the two disciples. We are asked the same question, and the response of Jesus is the same to us as it was to them. Come and see. There is a movement of the Holy Spirit in this place. We each have experienced the invitation to come and see and abide in Christ's presence here. Past personal mistakes or disappointments are of no consequence. The assessment of others in this world about one's value is of no consequence. We have each called to be saints. And to quote St. Paul, we are called to be saints to be the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. We dare not forget or ignore that call. It is the very source of light and life for us and for all those whose lives we touch. Amen.